another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Uh, don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. And this is episode 14 of the podcast for September 2015. This month's episode is very special because uh, our guest, we have Matthew Dow-Smith, who was the uh, the writer of the third volume of Dark Crystal Creation Myths. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see that it is finally um, out. Uh, as of now, it's only available through the uh, Amazon website. So if you go to Amazon.com and just um, search for Dark Crystal Creation Miss Volume 3, uh, you'll be able to purchase it as a digital copy uh, through their uh, Kindle uh, section. So if you want to uh, you know, check it out as of now, um, that's, that's your best uh, option. And the hardcover launch uh, is uh, expected to be out uh, sometime around late October, early November. There isn't like a diff- definitive uh, release date uh, for it as of yet. Um, but I mean, it's great to know that at least it's out there right now. And um, I mean, it's been a very long wait <laughs> to get the uh, third volume and finally sort of get the whole story uh, about the uh, creation myths, which is sort of about the story of how, uh, of a lot of things about how um, Ulgra came to be, um, how the Earth Skeks um, entered the world of Thra, and so much more. Before I start playing the uh, interview that I did with uh, Matthew Dow-Smith, I will just place a uh, warning uh, that the the interview does contain spoilers. Uh, I had the opportunity to, to chat to Matthew Dow-Smith uh, about a couple of months ago, actually, and big thanks to RK Entertainment for uh, allowing me to be able to uh, read the um, volume three um, in advance to be able to um, interview him and actually just actually just be able to talk to him about the third volume. And uh, I think we had a great conversation about all things Dark Crystal as well as his work on on Creation Myths Volume Three. So um, it's just another warning, just to let you know that the interview does contain spoilers. So if you haven't uh, read uh, Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume Three, I just suggest uh, pause the show. Go to Amazon or go to wherever the uh, graphic novel for Creation Miss Volume 3 is out. Read it and then come back and and listen to the rest of the show. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, without further ado, uh, let's go to the Podling Village and chat to Matthew Dow-Smith about his work on the Dark Crystal Creation Myths Volume 3. So, yeah, first of all, I just want to say, yeah, thank you so much for being on Trial by Stone. Well, thanks so much for having me. All right. And I, I guess um, I'm very interested in knowing, uh, Matthew, uh, h- how did you d- discover the Dark Crystal? Well, I'm of the generation that actually grew up watching The Muppet Show. So um, I was a big fan of Jim Henson. And I remember seeing way back in the day, and we're talking the 1970s here, there was a science fiction magazine called Starlog. And uh, as a nerdy little kid, I got um, I had a subscription to it and they they would run 
pieces about this new thing Jim Henson was doing. He was making a movie, and it was called The Dark Crystal, and they'd have pictures of these insane-looking creatures. Um, And uh, I just remember seeing those and just being like, what is this? I want to see it. That looks so cool. Um, You know, and so I actually – I saw Dark Crystal in the movie theater, and it was probably – I'm assuming it was my dad who took me, my poor father who uh, isn't into fantasy or science fiction, but yeah. took took me to see Star Wars like six times in the movie theater. I'm <laughs> I'm sure he uh, I'm sure he was the poor guy who had to take me <laughs> to see the Dark Crystal. But yeah, yeah. you know, so I I saw it in the theaters and was just absolutely blown away. Um, and I think like a lot of people. Um, of my generation who saw it, you know, you saw it at, at, at a young age and it just really kind of planted it itself in your head. And, you know, there are some images from that movie that just, you know, they're just there. They're just locked in my head for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I, I guess what was, I guess the things from the dark crystal that, that got stuck in your head for, for, um, forever. Well, I, I mean, I, I Obviously, as as an artist, uh, even as a kid, you know things like images like just the the Skeksis Castle is just the, the the Dark Crystal, the Castle of the Dark Crystal. I think it's officially called. It yeah. is just. I mean, it, it was such a bizarre thing, um, and such a bizarre design, and so awesome. I mean, you know, it wasn't until much later that I discovered the work of Brian Froud um, and just the, the way his head worked with, um, you know, the, the designs of, of the creatures and everything. It's just, it was like nothing I'd, I'd seen before. Um, and, and just, you know, just absolutely, just absolutely insane. But, you know, the, the thing that I always think of, um, the, the thing I always think of first um, visually is just, is Agra because Agra was just one of the the easily the strangest thing I'd ever yeah. seen. Yeah, because uh, I mean, her uh, first yeah. appearance in the film, you, you just see her. With, you just see the eyeball first, and then yeah. and then you see her face, and then she plonks the eye back in. And <laughs> I mean, it's insane. I mean, it really was like just as a little kid sitting and watching that. I mean, I think it's like an hour and a half long or whatever. And I'm, mm. I'm sure it was just an hour and a half of my brain just slowly exploding over and over again. <laughs> yeah. at, at just the, the amazing thing. And it, it, it's funny having, you know, when, when I agreed to write the, the third volume of, of creation myths, mm. I, I sat down and rewatched it because, you know, I have the, I have the toughest, toughest job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Watched our crystal for work. Um, yeah. You know, I was watching it again and it's funny. I had to watch it several times um before i was watching it with that kind of editorial eye Mm. of of you know picking out picking out themes that i wanted to play with i mean it literally was just i just watched it over and over again just going this is so cool (laughs) (laughs) so you know and i've watched it you know it it I watched it maybe not every year but but Mm. every few years i i dust it off and and watch it uh, and you know, for when I, when I took the job, I, I of course had to buy a, a new high definition copy of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. You know, and write it off on my taxes. Cause you know, that's awesome. Um, yeah. you know, and it's, 
it's funny. I mean, it's one of those movies that that I genuinely think that if you released it today, mm. it would you know it would hold up with with anything else out there. I mean, it hasn't it hasn't dated. I mean, I think that's and that's a real uh, testament to the design work and and the filmmaking. It was just. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a great, it's a just such a fantastic movie. Yeah, definitely. And I think like things that almost sort of, you know, these days are sort of slowly going full circle with um, uh, a lot of, you know, some of the films are sort of actually, you know, sort of going back to um, to practical effects. Um, I mean, you know, the big example, of course, would be The Force Awakens where um, when the behind the scenes video, their big emphasis is like practical effects, practical effects, practical effects. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Well, I think, you know, again, I, I think it's the people making movies on that level now are, you know, the people of my generation or maybe just a little bit younger and they grew up with that stuff and they see, they see the value of actually having something on set. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 that's always really interesting because I mean, really, yeah, you can look at you can look at movies like The Dark Crystal or, or other things that that use puppetry um, as a key component um, of the storytelling, and and you can you know you can see you you know they're puppets, but I mean when when you have creators as, as insanely gifted as as Jim Henson was and his whole team, you know. You forget their puppets really fast. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which always. I mean, that was one of the things that I really, I really noticed watching it again for for the job. Was yeah, you 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 lose yourself in the story really really quickly. It's 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 really amazing. It, it certainly is. And um, do you, do you actually have a, a favorite uh, scene from from the film? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I have a favorite scene per se. I mean. Hmm. I, I love all the stuff in Agra's observatory, not so much for the content of the scene, but, but just looking at all the amazing detail, yeah. uh, in, in that set and, um, the way the, the way the characters interact. Um, and I, that, that was a big part of, of the comic was I, I, I wanted to make sure we saw the inside of that. Cause I just thought it was so cool. <laughs> And this time I didn't have to draw it. Poor Alex had to draw the inside of the observatory. There's a lot nice. of stuff in there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you know, not so much a, a, a scene, perhaps. I mean, it's, I guess more of a moment. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to pull out a specific moment because the whole thing, the whole thing, had such a huge effect on me. Um, you know, it, it's all just amazing. But I, I do remember, um, you know, again, part of that sort of the strongest memory that's really burned in my head is, is the open, is the opening scrawl with the, um, uh, with the castle of the, the dark uh, castle of the crystal. Yes. Um, and just, Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I just think that's, I just think that's really chilling and and emotionally effective. Yeah, definitely. uh, Yeah. And, um, I guess, I guess, yeah, I mean, I am actually interested about yeah how 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 did it all happen when you um, eventually you know got the opportunity to to write the third volume for Creation Myths how that came about? Well, the head of Archaea, uh, Stephen Christie, and I have been talking for years about me uh, working at doing something for Archaea, and and this never quite worked out. Uh, Stephen's funny because I'm primarily known as an artist, but Stephen's one of the few people in the industry who knows that uh, I have 
I have high ambitions of being a writer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and has always, you know, really been supportive of, of the writing as, as well as, as the art. And, you know, it just was one of those weird things where they just, I, you get one of those emails. Uh, and when you do comics, you get them every once in a while. You just get this email that says, hey, you want to do this insanely awesome thing? Yeah. <laughs> so um, they had seen uh, a couple of years ago, I started doing a comic book um, called The October Girl, yes. which uh, I kind of do on the side when I, when I have free time, which unfortunately isn't too often because of things mm-hmm. like Dark Crystal. And uh, I guess, you know, some... So the the editors uh, of the Dark Crystal uh, graphic novels, um, Rebecca Taylor and and Cameron Chittock had had seen it and really liked it, and I think kind of you know combined with Stevens, you know pretty wide openness at at working with me at some point came together and and they just I mean I just got this email out of the blue saying hey you know do you like Dark Crystal. <laughs> And yeah. it was one of those things where, you know, you don't even ask, you know, oh, what am I doing? You know, how much am I getting paid? What's the schedule like? You just go, yes, yes. I will. Whatever you want, I'll do it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's it, it's hard. I mean, it's funny because I, I Jim Henson is just cast this huge shadow over sort of my brain having grown up, you know, really just – loving everything he did and it is sort of he has this really great viral effect where he he really shapes the way people like me view the world and and a lot of my sort of creative impulses you know you can you can trace back to to jim henson's sort of approach to stuff he had such a unique approach um and and a really positive approach and, um, you know, somebody who grew, grew up with that stuff in their brain, um, you know, when you get asked to do anything mm. that is connected in any way to his legacy, you know, you, you agree to do it. And then later you realize this, this, you know, is a masterpiece and I'm the idiot who's going to come in and be like, <laughs> well, let me just yeah. write some stuff. Write some cool. crystal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, so it's, it's, it's that moment of just, you're kidding. You want me to do what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, you know, this slow realization of, oh, and now you have to live up to it. And, um, you know, not only living up to, to Jim's vision uh, of this world and these characters and, and his, his vision of what a good story was, but to, you know, step in and, and continue um, in to you know finish off something that you know two writers had already left their mark on um you know you you had brian hoguin on uh, volume one and joshua dysart on uh, volume two and you know both of those guys are great writers and and i'm not really known as a writer so yeah. <laughs> so that was crazy too but yeah i mean that's that's pretty much what happened i mean it literally was just an email completely out of the blue um and i just agreed to it in a second that yeah, I think that that would be an awesome way, I guess, you know, for any job, especially, yeah, you know, the opportunity to to write the Dark Crystal, the, you know, <laughs> would be... Uh, well, I, you know, yeah. it, it, and it was a weird, it's been a, oh, just an, it was an insane year, because I'm, the my other obsession as a kid was Doctor Who. I mean, I grew up very much watching Doctor Who from, you know, the mid-70s on, uh, and I had been doing Doctor Who, drawing Doctor Who comics, which was insane. Yeah. Um, and I just, like I had just written a 50th anniversary 
uh, Doctor Who comic book that the BBC was putting in Blu-ray box sets. And it was one of those things where you're sitting around your office going, well, how do I top that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get this email and you go, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I do it. (laughs) Awesome. And Um, so, yeah, so it was just, I mean, it was just another insane thing. Um, Yeah. And then while we were working on this, they asked if I would write and draw an issue of their uh, Jim Henson storyteller Witches miniseries, which was, you know, Yes, yeah. It was a good, insane year for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. And so, when when you got on board to write the third volume, obviously there was, you know, two volumes that have already been written before. Was the third volume when you, you know, before you got on board, or or when you, when you got on board, that was the third volume or, or kind of already laid down for you, and then you just had to sort of write based on the ideas that Arkea and the Jim Henson Company uh, wanted, you know the direction that the story wanted, you know, to, to go with the third volume? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, there was, there was an overall arc and, you know, Ron up in particular, um, you know, they, they had, they had a sense of, of what his arc should be. And they had a sense for where everybody needed to end up. And, and I think really amazingly to me, uh, both Arkea and the Henson company, you know, let me kind of find my own way through that. Um, which was interesting. I mean, you know, I think when you work on licensed comics, you know, you're, you're not just writing for yourself, you're writing for the, the people who own the thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so which can be really, really tricky. And, um, you know, I'd certainly having written, uh, written a few Dr. Who things, you know, that, that was great too, because the BBC just kind of, you know, they, they kept you reined in, but, uh, you know, but you were really allowed to kind of go nuts until somebody said, yeah, that's a little too nuts. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the Henson people and, and Archaea really, I mean, they let me sort of, we had a lot of conversations about, you know, themes and, you know, we wanted the ending um, to hit the right notes and they gave me an awful lot of space, um, which I, I really appreciate um, to tell yeah, it, it was a story that, that had to end in a specific place, but they kind of let me get there on my own and let me add some things um, and and turn a few things on their head. I mean, it, it was it was great. It was a really interesting experience because um, I was I was a little nervous about that um, beyond just the I didn't want to mess it up. Um, I was nervous about giving them something that that they liked um, and something that I felt said something about what the dark crystal meant to me and, and continued, continued what, what I felt like, uh, Jim Henson and, and the rest of his team on the, the movie were trying to convey. So yeah, it was nuts. It took me a while to write it too. Cause it was, yeah. it was kind of a heavy burden. Um, yeah. and it's, it's the longest comic I've, I've written so far. It was uh, 90 pages or something. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it was, a it was an interesting experience. And, you know, again, my, my editors, Rebecca and Cameron were fantastic because they were just, you know, we have these really long conversations where, you know, trying to construct a scene, um, mm-hmm. so that it, it conveyed not just, not just plot, but conveyed the theme. And, you know, that's not an experience you get in comics a, a lot because in comics it's often, you know, you gotta you gotta hit the next plot point. You gotta introduce the villain. You gotta you know show how the villain is bad. And 
you know, there, there are these kind of rigid steps that you have to follow. And, you know, they were much more open to, you know, let's, there's a scene, there's a scene where, um, the, uh, the Skeksis emperor, new emperor, um, is, is talking with some Gelflings and they let me kind of turn the, the, what would normally be a gloating scene of a villain, you know, revealing his, his plan, uh, they let me like play with it and kind of turn it around so that um, it means it means something different. It was, I mean, it really, it was a really interesting experience, and, and you know, it, it was fun. I was able to kind of sit down with the first two volumes and um, intentionally go back and, and make sure that I was picking up the themes from the first two stories and kind of strengthening them in in wrapping them up in in my volume. So. So it's it's a little like trying to get into uh, multiple writers' heads at the same time. So yeah, was it something but that they you, let me do it? Yeah, was it was it something that you were able to uh, actually contact the writers themselves to sort of you know discuss at length about you know what what they no, did I, in the previous volumes? I mean, I, I probably certainly could have, and I probably unwisely didn't. <laughs> um, you know, it, I, I'm a little too daunted, but I I know Brian a little bit, um, but I. I I don't know. I, I kind of left them. I, I, I left them alone. <laughs> I yeah. didn't want to be, you know, the, the kids saying, Hey, I just let, let the, let the books speak, speak to themselves, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, there, there's with that kind of framework already in place, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to deviate too much from the, the, the story. And, and uh, the story that, that needed to be tell, told in order to, to leave, the toys where they needed to be for the next, the next stage of, of the story, um, uh, the, the film. So, um, you know, it, it, it I probably should have, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully they're not going to read, read the third volume and be like, no, no. that's not what I thought at all. <laughs> yeah. So, and but yeah, it, I mean, it was interesting and it's funny because I, um, I, I knew the comics had been out, but I hadn't read them. Um, not not because I'm you know too cool to read comics, but I, I don't I don't often get a chance to read comics. Yeah, and I knew Arkea was was doing these, and I sat down um, once they gave me the job with the first two ones, and I'm like, this guy's drawing it right. Yeah, <laughs> Alex Jakeman <laughs> Alex and Lizzie yeah. John, who who colors Alex's work on this, I just was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll write a script for this guy, no problem. So you know, and I think having Alex. Alex on all three um, really kind of really kind of makes it uh, a cohesive whole beyond just the story. So yeah, definitely. And um, it was interesting. I think um, yeah, with his artwork, how he sort of wanted to go with sort of that old fashioned sort of storytelling storytelling books. Um, you know, with the, all the water, use of watercolors and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, which I thought was yeah very. In, um, which is on the yeah on, at the end of the third volume. Uh, a bit of that commentary about that, which I thought was, yeah, really interesting to, you know, get to know, you know, what was the process or, you know, why he went, you know, with that direction with, with the arts. So, um, which I think it works, it works well overall. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he's really an amazingly talented artist and he, he draws, I mean, the idea of, of having to draw a Skeksis like makes mm. my skin break out. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're unbelievably complicated to draw and he nails them every time um i mean i really you know couldn't 
couldn't have asked for a better artist to to bring the material to life. And and like I said, Lizzie John, who does the coloring, is just it's just uh, they're just a fantastic team. I really really adore it. And it's always it's a little weird for me to write something that I'm not drawing myself because I yeah I I write to my beats. I write to how I would draw something. So I you know really sat down and and tried to figure out how Alex naturally tells his story and, and tried to give him a few spots. I mean, the guy, the guy does like a, a single page, uh, piece like you would not believe, um, you know, montage pieces. Yeah. So I, I made sure to, to leave him a couple of room, uh, a couple of pages for the room to just go nuts. And, you know, I think <laughs> I'm sure some of my, I'd have to go back through my script, but I'm sure some of my instructions for those pages was like, yeah, just do whatever you want. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that would be so much good. What you are imagining is probably way cooler than anything I can imagine. Um, yeah, it, but really, it, he's fantastic, and, and I, I can't I can't say enough nice stuff about him. He was absolute absolute dream to work with. Yeah, no, that, that's so great. Yeah, and um, I guess like um, you mentioned how you know when you got on board with the um with the with the cre- creation myths volume three that um you watched the Dark Crystal a lot of times. Was there any like sort of other research that you did um, with, you know, trying with writing the characters or the story itself, whether it's like the, you know, other mythologies or, um, or history. Well, I mean, yeah, there was, there was a certain amount of, I mean, a lot of that stuff is just kind of in my head. Cause I, I, um, in terms of, you know, I grew up reading an awful lot of, of mythology and, um, Joseph Campbell's books, and um, that's kind of a a, a personal uh, interest of mine. So, I mean, that's 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 part and parcel of, of how I approach any story like this. So, there's you know a fair amount of thinking uh, in terms of of the grand myths of other cultures um, and and how they all work out. So, I mean, it, it when you when you like sit down and, and explain it. it kind of sounds boring, but that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of what I do. I mean, it's just, I, I think about, I think about all those things and, and have all those things, um, have all those things in, in mind when, when I'm con- constructing a story. But, you know, at a certain point, you know, we were able to introduce some new characters, uh, in the third volume, um, yes, yeah. because we, yeah, we had, we had characters from the, the first two volumes whose stories had kind of come to a, a natural conclusion. Um, so I knew going in that we were going to be creating some new characters. And once you have those worked out, once you kind of figure out what their driving forces are, you know, all the, all the study of mythology, you know, gets set to the side and, and you just let the characters do what the characters need to do. Um, and, and for me, it was Ronup. Ronup was the really interesting character. I thought he 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 fascinated me. Um, so we we really he really steps up. I think in this third volume and and um, you know in, in a lot of ways it becomes it becomes Ronup's story more than anyone else anyone else's um, and which you know is is fitting. Um, and that you know and there's the one thing yeah. <laughs> the the one thing that as a huge Dark Crystal nerd like you know, trying to make everything match up with the continuity of the film and the things that are mentioned in the film. So we, we put a certain amount of, of time and research into, all right, how do we, 
because she doesn't she doesn't mention Rana in the film. No, and and we kind of give her a reason. Uh, hopefully, you know, we don't hit anyone's uh, head over or hit, hit anyone with a hammer to drive it home. But it's there are reasons why she doesn't remember him and and um, reasons why she talks about the event of the the crystal breaking um, in a certain way. Um, and yeah, yeah, because yeah, all she's thinking about is is you know the, the shard and, and the crystal and and sort of trying to work out when the next great conjunction may hit. But I guess also, I guess she was almost, I guess, somewhat traumatized by the events, I guess that in that regard. Well, that's, that's kind of what I, I, my take on it was, is that, and I think a lot of this, the, the, the specific take in, in the third volume is, you know, with the crystal broken, Thra is broken. Yeah. And she being, essentially the mother of Thra, she's broken too. Yeah. Um, and that's something we really tried to play with um, in this volume um, and and establish that, yeah, there's a reason why she's a little nutty. And, you know, it's because she's part of this planet and this planet is part of her. And <clears throat> with with the crystal broken, she, she is also, she's also shattered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, um, uh, like one of the uh, creatures that you able to introduce into the third volume was um, was based on sort of like abandoned concepts um, from the film with the uh, with the minor characters. Um, mm-hmm. well, what was it like um, bringing those characters into the uh, world of the Dark Crystal, or the world of Thra, essentially? Well, yeah, we'd been talking about sort of the mechanism of the story. Um, you have these creatures who are basically running. Uh, running rampant, and um, you know, we were we were talking about. We knew that there was a uh, there were these creatures that that had been intended to be used, but but weren't. And I know there's they shot some stuff with them, or at least there are there are some photos of of Henson uh, uh, puppeteering them. Mm. Um, and it's just you know it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, that's perfect. That's yeah. exactly what we need. So, you know, they let us, they, they agreed to let us kind of develop the idea of those characters a little bit and, and have them be really the, the main, the main, I don't want to say bad guy, but the, the main driving force, um, uh, to the story, um, Definitely, yeah. outside of, outside of Ronup, you know, it's, and it's kind of crazy. It's one of those things you just like, can't think about it. You can't yeah. be like, this is like an un, unused Jim Henson thing idea, you know, you, you have to put them in there somehow, and, yeah. Yeah, and if you stop and think about, if you stop and think about that, it would just make your brain hurt, and you'd be sitting in the corner of your office, uh, yeah. dribbling on yourself. Yeah. Um, and they, and they, you know, the the Henson people were absolutely fantastic um, to to let us do that, and and to finally bring those creatures in. And um, I think you know we we hit pretty close actually to what, what they had originally intended for those characters. Um, not exactly. Uh, but you know, cause I don't think I, I don't even think when they, we first started talking about them, that they were miners and, you know, I had developed this whole idea of these creatures coming up from underground and it's like, Oh, underground and they're miners. miners oh, that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> so yeah. So it, it, it was really very, uh, fortuitous. Um, to be able to do it. I can't remember. I gave them a name or maybe I didn't give them. There was a name for these creatures at some point. 
and I don't, I didn't think it was good enough. Uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was a good enough name for, for the Henson's, uh, creature. So yeah. oh, well, now I can't remember. I, I can't remember the out. name. We might, we might've just taken it out and said, yeah, let's just not try to name them. Cause whatever we come up with won't be, won't, won't live up to, to the idea of these creatures. Yeah. So. And I just love, um, I think one of the quotes or, you know, from, from your comic, um, the graphic novel, like when one, one of the poems like, you know, well, these creatures like, you know, something out of my most terrible nightmares, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was sort of like, you know, I guess, you know, as fans, you know, that that's what we all kind of felt like, you know, if we were to describe like what a Skeksis or Allgro or the Gotham, you know, something from our terrible nightmares. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of, part of what I really wanted to play with a little bit in this is the idea that, you know, Thra- now that, that the crystal's broken and, and Thraw is out of balance, that these people wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have seen anything that scared them like that before. Um, Cause they, the, the, fascinating thing about the the world of Thra before um the film dark crystal and before the events of the 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 uh the breaking of the crystal is you know everything lived in harmony everything lived perfectly so you know so i i like the idea of uh the podlings you know this is this is the first thing that genuinely terrifies them yeah so yeah which I, you know, is is really interesting, and it, it's hard because we we talked a lot about, you know, a proper the the proper tone of the ending, because I I I firmly believe that that you know Jim Henson believed in happy endings, mm. and it's one of the things that I responded to so much as a kid, and one of the things that that really, in my own work as as a writer, I. You know, I always do happy endings because <laughs> yeah. I think endings endings should be happy. Happy, yeah. And the and and this had to end unhappily because it leads up to the dark crystal, and the dark crystal starts off in a very dark place. So we we really worked hard to try to come up with an ending mm. that that was still happy, that was still a happy ending. So yeah, you know, you had. This, you have this world out of balance. You have these nightmare creatures, um, yeah. you know, running over the lands. But you know, it still ends up with a happy. It ends up in a in a good place. Yeah. Um, yeah. With with the danger still lurking so, out there. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that was the thing, like about you know, yeah, that the ending is, you know, the, the way I sort of look at it is like when I read the end of the third volume, I felt like that everything that I've read before it is really just the beginning because in a way that everything sort of goes downhill, um, you know, after, after, after all that with, um, you know, with the, when, you know, the Galflings making the deal with the Skeksis and, and just not for them, not realizing what they're actually going to get themselves into. Right. Yeah. It's all, like I said, it's all sort of dangling out there. And, you know, at some point between, the creation myths and the dark crystal things are going to get really bad. I just didn't want to be the guy writing the really bad stuff. <laughs> I wanted everybody to be pretty happy at the, at the end of this one. And, and I think, yeah. And I think it kind of works out because like, I mean, originally in my mind, I guess because um, the whole creation myths, um, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a, a way, you know, to, to get the whole sort of conclusion to the story. Cause I, I mean, for myself, I, I originally thought that the ending was probably going to wrap up more and tie up, you know, things like, you know, 
the Garth um, or the Skeksis wiping out the Galflings and all that kind of stuff. But in a way that I do do like this ending because um, I just like that sort of, you know, even after reading it, I still want to know more, you know, it sort of leaves, I guess, um, uh, the reader myself, you know, I still want to know more, like what happens after, you know, and, and also like with Roundup, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, even though it's, he's probably close to, you know, his days, but you know, there could be the possibility that, you know, he might actually manage to come back, you know? Yeah. I left that really open cause I really like him. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I came into, I came into the writing of it, not liking him at all. Yeah. And thinking he was, um, you know, and, and purposefully he, he's designed to be the instigator. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things, I mean, not to spoil it, but I I think the, the, the thing as I was writing the story that I was writing it for, I was writing it for the moment. Yeah. Where someone turns to him and says, you're a hero. Yeah. And that like that for me is the thread that that runs through what I was trying to do in the third volume is I, I wanted to make Ron up the hero. And, um, you know, I we with that, with the ending that we had in place, um, which is like one thing that I don't want to spoil. But it's like for me, that's like the the last couple of pages. The epilogue of, of of volume three is is like something that that I really I love that we got to do that. I love that we got to reveal that he's the storyteller. Yeah, uh, who's been telling the story to us and and leaving him on this like leaving him on this like really specific note of you know he's probably dying. Yeah, but he's okay with it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, when you talk about in terms of stories and character arcs, like that to me is such a great to take him from where he was in volume one, um, where he's almost a, just a petulant child. And well, not almost. He is a petulant yeah. child. Uh, you take him from that to the end of, of volume three, where he's a hero and he's gained he's gained wisdom and he's OK with his imminent death. Like that's the kind of stuff that I just I love getting a chance to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah. I really like you know that was really cool. I you know he he's a kind of an annoying character and he's designed to be that way because he's the instigator. Yeah. Always asking too many questions and meddle with right. things and. <laughs> yeah, and I like I really I really tried to play that up and 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 really enjoyed playing it up. Um, you know so. Uh, while you know part of me is 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 as a dark crystal fan part of me is sad that i wasn't the one who got to write you know the breaking of the crystal mm. and i i we didn't want to do you know we didn't want to do the the gelflings being wiped out yet because this is too early on the timeline for that to really have happened yet yeah um things like that you know which would be as a fan an incredible thing to to get a chance to to tell that part of the story I like I like that we got to tell this part of the story. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like this whole creation myth, it sort of really became about you know that's really really run up some um, story to tell. And uh, yeah, and I, and I really like to reveal that it was him that you know who was the storyteller the whole time. You know, you know a lot of people think you know if it's like you know um, 
Olgra, even Olgra, or or even Kira, because you know you had um, the Fizzgear creature that's sort of like, oh, you know, might be Kira, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. yeah. So, um, which I think is yeah, yeah, which was uh, yeah, which I did feel that yeah it was a great way to to end um, the creation myths, and I yeah just certainly heard that that's you know just a start of things to come, you know, from okay and the Jim Henson Company if they um ever decide to yeah pursue doing more Dark Crystal uh, graphic novels or or comics in the near future yeah you know i don't know i don't know the exact i don't know their exact plans to be honest um i actually was just talking to my dark crystal editor today and was like you know if you ever want to do any more <laughs> you know where to find me yeah um you know i'm not sure what the i'm not sure what the plan is uh obviously the henson company has you know great great plans for the dark crystal and it's just kind of becomes a, a question of, um, you know, putting, putting the deals together and, and getting things going. Um, you know, I, I, I'd certainly, I, I, it's certainly not want to speak for them, but it's, you know, it's clearly, it's clearly a property that is very, 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 very close to the company. Um, and they would love to do more things with it. And, you know, I think, as a fan of the material, I think that's just great. I mean, I, I, you know, I would watch any dark crystal thing or read any dark crystal thing, um, you know, that, that comes along and, and certainly, um, you know, it's as a creator, it's, it's an incredible world, um, to get to play in and, and like the idea that, you know, I got to add any small part, to to the story is is insane yeah definitely um, yeah and awesome <laughs> it's, just, it's so cool I just really it's, it is one of those things where you just have to pinch yourself and, and just be like okay yeah. this is cool this is real this is actually happening yep, yep. and it's canon uh, and it's canon yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I draw the x-files comic book right now so oh yes with season uh, with season 10 yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we just uh, season eleven starts in a couple weeks, I think. Uh, or uh, sorry, starts in uh, September, and uh, so we're, you know, we're kind of building up to the new show, and it's one of those things where I'm really glad I'm just the artist. <laughs> I don't have to like coordinate. Yeah, I don't have to coordinate the storyline so that everything matches up. I just, you know, someone sends me a script and I draw it, but. Yeah, these these things are incredibly complex and with all sorts of moving parts. Yeah, and um, you know you you really you know you really have to work hard to stay true to the material, stay true to yourself as a creator, and and um, you know stay true to the things that they have planned. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and um, I just got a couple of questions just um, sure. uh, about the uh, the graphic novel volume three. So. One one thing I sort of thought about when I was reading it, um, with with the miners, with, with the miners, how um, sort of towards the end of the book, um, when the podlings was able to communicate with the miner to sort of you know say, oh, you know, can you please stop uh, attacking us? And I was curious, <laughs> and I was really curious about um, why. Um, so you know, if I had the the ability to speak to all creatures, um, why didn't that? Uh, occur i guess with the podlings to do that you know when well, when the miners initially take i was just curious my yeah. understanding is that the the podlings and and maybe this is my misreading um but my understanding is that kotha has that specific gift oh, okay so it's sort of uh, so it's sort of that only certain podlings 
actually have that ability to right. to, to speak. That, yeah, that's, yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah, uh, they don't. They they all can't do that. Uh, yeah. Kotha can, um, and Kotha is just one of my. I for some bizarre reason, I just think Kotha is the coolest character. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we had worked out a couple of different ways for that to happen, that moment to happen. Yeah, and I really really wanted Kotha to be the one to to be there because I, I think yeah. Kotha's sort of set up in in I think volume two mm. Kotha's set up as this great leader or is going to be a great leader yeah and I wanted Kotha to have a moment that you know the entire story in that moment hinges on Kotha and Kotha stepping up to the plate um you know, and that's that's a theme that I tried to seed through a lot of volume three. Yeah. Is that a, a lot of the characters um, are faced with moments where they have to step up. And, um, you know, for the for the most part, they all do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So so Kotha, it's my understanding that, that really only a few of them can do it. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I sort of thought, yeah, that, that might have been the case, but yeah, I was just really curious about yeah your your perspective on on that, and um, I I, I don't know if you know the answer to this question because it was something okay. that sort of fell through or came through uh, volume one when um, mm-hmm. there was a conversation between Ranip and Erskik. Um, they're having a sort of conversation and then the Erskik says, you know, there is something of your father in you after all. Um, yeah. It, it, do you think that we'll ever find out sort of um, the identity of Ranip's, you know, true parentage or his, you know, where he came from or, you know, his history? Because he sort of more or less fell from the sky, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's made from he's made from uh, a combination of this, the asteroid and uh, and and the planet Thra itself. Um yeah, you know, we played around with that a little bit, and I, there was a there was a brief moment where that could have been a much bigger um, plot point. Yeah. Um, and really, it's kind of one of those things where you know, there's still some stuff that you can explore with Ron up, um, but ultimately, it has to be about Ron up. It has to be about Ron up um, coming to terms with um, what his part was in, in the, the destruction of the crystal. Um, and if not, you know, making, making everything better because he can't, he can't make everything better because if he makes everything better, the movie dark crystal never happens. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, so there, there was some playing around with it and I, they get into it, um, a bit in volume two as well. Um, with, with the kind of idea of his father, um, you know, to me, that just means, you know, he's, he's all, he will always be the other because he's not really from Thra. And again, it's another thing that kind of, you know, permeates my take on the character and how I had him do stuff is that he, yes, he is. He, he's as much a part of Thra as anybody else. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of just who he is and, and part of who he is. Um, 
and when he makes, you know, when he makes the decision to uh, basically sacrifice himself in in its own sort of weird way at the end of volume three, it's you know it's, that's him that's him accepting who he is and accepting his place uh, in the mechanism of of the planet itself. Uh, and that was his role. His role was to lead these people to a place where they can survive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Considering, yeah, like sort of after the, um, the crystal cracked and the miners sort of, you know, uh, had kind of had to, you know, leave from where they were from and, um, yeah, needed to, to find another place. So yeah, ran up sort of, yeah, sort of sacrificed himself, um, to, you know, to take on the task to take him to, you know, some, you know, the field of fire, um, you know, far away from the world. And yeah. And if you can tell, I mean, there are several stories that I kind of have in mind for that journey. Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, Hey, Jim Henson people, I would love to do those stories. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, but there, there's a character, um, uh, there's a mystic, uh, called the wanderer. Yes. Yeah, who I would also love to explore, at some point. I mean, it's, it's such an insanely rich mythology. You can really yeah. kind of go anywhere and do anything and, and touch it on all sorts of interesting stories within the context of this planet. I mean, we, we had to like rein ourselves in from doing too much of that because there's what we've seen of the planet is actually just a fraction of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just yeah. the the beginning of things to come, and um, yeah, it's just um, and I just yeah, really hope that yeah, like get some more stories and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's in. There's so many things yeah. that you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, but there is a timeline. There, there's a very specific timeline that's already been worked out, and there are major events that have to happen at certain times, leading up to the Dark Crystal, but. Um, yeah, so you know, I, I'm actually just yeah. I'm actually just wondering, um, you know, timeline wise, how many years um, does the events say of the third volume take place before the events of the Dark Crystal? Is there like an I, estimation? I knew of the you years? were gonna. Ask, I knew you were gonna <laughs> ask me that, and I don't know. I knew it at the time I was writing it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a long time. I want to say it's like a thousand years, but don't quote me on that. It, it's yeah, a significant. I mean, period of time yeah i guess like considering that you know the end of the second volume was really um you know the crystal you know shattering and and all that kind of stuff so it would yeah i guess in that regard it would have to be at least a thousand to 900 years at most yeah. but i'd say probably close to the thousand years um we we yeah. played around with the idea of how long between volume two and volume three is and we didn't we never quite say my my impulse was to uh, basically have Agra and Rana wandering around in the the crystal caves for mm. several years. Oh yes, yeah. Um, but you know, we we kind of shied away from from really putting a, a time stamp on that because we wanted it to be a little less rigid. Um, but yeah, it's still it's a significantly long period between volume three and the film. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. And I can't remember. I think that the Gelfling, the the slaughter of the Gelflings happens uh, not extraordinarily long before the film, which is no. why 
which is why we kind of had to avoid that. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, because I mean, with, with Jen, well, basically, you know, he got rescued by Mystic, Mystic right. as a baby. So let's say if you know, if the age of Jen, you know, if he's like, I don't know, say fourteen or fifteen, right? So yeah, could possibly maybe fourteen years before. You yeah, know, when they, and um, I, yeah. One of their one of the things that they they really wanted us to do with Volume Three, and and I think is is the right thing, is we wanted to see. We wanted to see the beginnings of the things that would lead to the Dark Crystal. We wanted to see the Skeksis when they were still vibrant. And we wanted to see the Mystics before they were quite so, uh, quite so, not detached, but, you know, they were kind of off doing their own thing. Uh, and we, we kind of, this, this, um, the, the the overall theme of this third volume was, was like I said, I, uh, or like I think I said, was, um, you know, everybody's sort of finding their place. And, you know, that includes the Skeksis. And their place is not a good place. It's a very yeah. bad place. <laughs> but, um, you know, to, to set up all those things that, that the seeds of what would come later, um, you know, which I think is like a, a really interesting a really interesting thing to to try to do in a story. I mean, it's you know the first volume establishes Thraw. It establishes what Thraw is, and the second volume, you know, establishes the the breaking of the crystal, and and then this one then kind of establishes everybody's place in this world. Um, so again, that was something I, I really I really kind of kept to the uh, kept in the forefront of my mind. Uh, while while writing it, I mean, it, it sounds like the I make it sound like the writing of it is like a puzzle, and in a lot of ways, it is. Um, you know, you got a lot of different masters that you, you're serving. You're you're serving the story and, and your own instincts, and your you know the the legacy and the timeline of of Dark Crystal. But it's like it's actually really kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really you know it's a really interesting tightrope to walk and um you know when you can and i i hope that we did when you can kind of have all those pieces come together um you know i i think it makes for a really really good story so uh, what was sort of your your favorite character to write or, or a character that you sort of had a long time uh you know that you i don't know if you had trouble trying to write this character uh for creation miss um the the funny thing is so Ron up obviously was was somebody I spent a lot of time developing in my head and, and where I wanted to go. And obviously, I have this ridiculous love of Kotha because I just think Kotha is just the awesomest. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is writing the Skeksis was really difficult um, because you it's it's difficult to write characters who are just evil. They're just every pore of their body is evil. And to try to make that not, you know, this caricature of of a villain in black twirling a mustache or in a you know black cloak and and trying to give them trying to give them interesting reasons for doing the things that they're doing was really, really challenging. And the dialogue's really hard to write, too, because everything just ends up sounding like Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and, and I know, you know, the editors worked pretty close with, closely with me trying to make sure that everybody 
kind of had their own way of speaking as much as possible and and having them be distinctive and and the skeksis i mean you really it's really easy to fall into a kind of caricature of them um and and that was really difficult i i probably those scenes in particular i i probably spent more time on yeah um than than the others um you know, and they went through a lot of different versions um, of of just how far along they were. Yeah. Um, in the beginning of of their uh, the beginning of their their society, and um, you know, it was it took a while, but there was there's one scene. Um, now, if I can remember the line of dialogue, there's this one line of it was like my fourth rewrite or something. Yeah, and I have the uh, I have the emperor saying, um, you know, we're Skeksis, we take what we want. Yeah, <laughs> or something along those lines. And then once I hit once I hit that line, then like it was easy to write them after that point. Um, but that weird, that weird kind of arrogance. Um, this completely unjustified arrogance <laughs> of these yeah. turkey creatures. Yeah. Um, and that to me, like once I kind of figured that out, that, that that's really, their motivation isn't evil. Their motivation is they just think that they're all that. They think they're the greatest things ever and everybody else is scum and not worthy to even be in their, their, presence but but there's a there's a cunning and a and a uh cleverness to their arrogance um that i i found really um i found really interesting kind of once we started to figure that out definitely yeah and i guess like um with writing with with uh creation myths that you sort of had yeah about 90 90 or so pages to sort of uh conclude the story um so was there like a lot of ideas that um that you wanted to you know initially like expand on but just weren't able to do just because um being you know constrained to you know trying to you know finish a story in in the 90 pages or not really i mean 90 90 pages was we we specifically designed the story to be able to fit um in those 90 pages and you know there's always things like i i look back on it and i'm like well maybe i wish i'd kind of given this moment a little bit more um there was a subplot uh, with Ronup um, where Ronup goes to the 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 castle of the crystal um, that we ended up cutting. But that was more that wasn't so much for time as it it works it it worked better to have him um, go to the Gelflings. Uh, directly so it's like you know little little things like that and you know things certainly shifted a lot in the early stages as you know we're, we're sending sending the story notes to the henson company and the henson company company coming back and you know again amazingly they really just let me kind of do what i wanted to do very few notes um which you know always makes you nervous yeah <laughs> but yeah. you know they 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 really did. And so, you know, there's a few things like that. I, I, that early on in the, the stages, the story kind of, you know, takes, you try out sort of different paths from point A to point B. Um, and I, I, I wanted for some stupid reason, cause this is just how my brain as an artist yeah. and as a writer, this is how my brain works. Like I wanted to recreate the moment 
uh, of a Gelfling on top of the Dark Crystal, but using Ron up. Oh, um, yeah. Because, again, that's, that's just one of those images that was stuck in my head. So I had to go through this whole elaborate thing to get Ron up to the castle <laughs> and on top of the Dark Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just like all for that, just because I have this nerdy need <laughs> to, to have that, like, I often think of, of when I write stories, I often think of things in terms of resonances. Like yeah. I like to set up resonances. And uh, that was one of the ones that I that I fr- was like just stuck on. Like I just really wanted to yeah. have that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted I uh, I, I wanted um, a scene with um, with Rana confronting the crystal. I mean, that's that's one of the things like you want. The crystal is such an important part of the story, and it's it's really at the heart of the story. So we were trying different things out to to make sure that the crystal is there and that you're aware of it. And, you see its its force yeah. and its presence on, yeah yeah so you know we played a we played a different thing so i wrote this long speech with ron up just yelling at the crystal and it was one of those things where the editors rightly were like what is this <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing this this doesn't serve any other purpose yeah um, you know and so but the him being angry and the idea of him the the idea of ron up being angry at someone instead of himself. Um, and then eventually realizing that, no, he, he's really, he's upset with, with, uh, his part in what had happened. We, we, you know, we worked that into other things, but without the crystal, um, which is too bad because again, visually, I like the idea of tiny little Ron up standing in front of this entire, this huge crystal and just yelling at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, oh, it's yeah. just stuff like that. There's always, you know, I um, I could spend forever um, writing the mystics because I, I find them I find them so interesting, and I, I find their sensibility and the idea of you know these incredibly powerful beings who are really only interested in their mind in their their in, in sort of interior um, life because they see the pattern yeah. of existence. I find that really, really interesting. And, and I would write really, really long, probably really, really boring stories about <laughs> them just sitting and contemplating the, yeah. the nature of existence. So, you know, I certainly, I'm, I'm happy with, with um, their role and the, the way we were able to use them um, in, in the third volume. But, you know, I, they're, I find them uniquely fascinating. I'd, I studied a lot of Eastern religion when I was uh, younger, just out of interest. So those, of course, those characters, um, the the most Eastern and the most philosophical, compared to, you know, the the angry physical turkeys. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I found them, you know, really really fascinating. But you know, they're at a stage of their their development in the story where. You know, they're just beginning down their road um, that that will lead them to, to where they are in the film and, and the, the great wisdom. So you yeah. you see in, in volume three the the way they're thinking and they're they're not wanting to be involved and yet being involved, which is, you know, again, it was really tricky, tricky thing to try to make sure we got right. But um, but yeah, again, I mean, I could write twenty pages of them just drawing, uh, drawing the the shapes in yeah. the sand. Yeah, 
So, and I'm sure Alex would draw them and they would look really cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone's really clamoring for me to write that story. <laughs> but you know, hey, you never know. You never, never know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, you know, if they if they ask me to do it, I will do it in a heartbeat. That's you know that's that's pretty much it. So yeah, and it was fun. It's there were Arkea uh, is a great was a great really great company to work with um, and uh, a nice experience. So I'm actually there. I'm doing a project now with a friend of mine um, who's writing. Uh, called Last Sons of America. It's written by uh, Philip K. Johnson. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you you go off and you you get to do Dark Crystal, and then, you know, then you get to go off and do this other project with one of your friends. Um, and I'll you know basically I'll keep myself in a holding pattern. <laughs> I'll, yeah. keep, I'll, I'll keep doing projects with these people until. Uh, until somebody says, "Oh yeah, hey, <laughs> we're not going to do another creations myths," but yeah. you know, um, you know, it's just that's nice. It, it was, like I said, it was really, it was an insane experience, but but a really a really wonderful one. And it and it was funny because I didn't know, I wasn't aware that everybody was sitting waiting for the third volume. <laughs> yeah, I'm like sitting there, like really, you know, really carefully crafting my story and putting all sorts of thought into the themes, and, you know. And I and it, you go online and then you see uh, message boards where it's like, "Where's volume three? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I might have been it's, one of those people that've been <laughs> anxiously well, waiting I mean, for volume it's three. It's amazing I mean, yeah. for something that came out in what 1982. Yeah, um, to have. To still have such a, a strong fan base, I mean, I think that really again speaks to what Jim Henson did, um, and and the kind of the the what he created, and and that you know it's funny you don't there's lots of entertainment there are lots of being of movies being made every single day, and you go online and go on something like Netflix and you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies, and yeah, they're all different, and yeah, the people working on them all, you know, worked really hard to make them. And then, you know, you'll you'll see those little those little island movies I call them, where in this sort of sea of of stuff, there's just that like little spark, something that's different and interesting and, and really special. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and you know, something like Dark Crystal uh, is definitely one of those those island movies, um, and you know, they don't, they really don't come along very often. And, you know, to, again, I mean, you know, I, it's just, it boggles my mind that I got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really, um, it's just, it is, is nuts, but you know, it's, it's cool that there's stuff out there like that. And it's, and it obviously, you know, touches something in people that, you know, really makes us all like me. I mean, ever rewatching it every few years, you know, you, something you can come back to time and time again, though. It's really weird. I got to say, it's really weird watching one of your favorite movies with your editorial hat on Yeah, <laughs> and going, okay, yeah, let's see how this works. Let's see, you know, the dynamics of the Gelflings and, and, and to, to have to, to, to have to study it. Um, like a like a student um 
I, I, yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> uh, and you know, luckily it, it, it certainly doesn't affect my enjoyment of it at all. I would still absolutely love it. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just a little weird. I yeah. like, you know, again, I'm a huge Dr. Who fan and, um, drew the Dr. Who comic book off and on for four years or something. And, uh, it's just, and then before, now that I'm on the X-Files, like I watched Doctor Who just as a fan again, not as somebody, you know, creatively involved in it. And it's a totally different sort of emotional experience. So I can actually like sit down and just relax and be like, ah, who cares if it makes any sense? It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't have to figure out how any of this stuff works. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and I think overall, like, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the story and I thought, you know, it was a great way to, to end things and, you know, all things all tied up um, with the third volume. So, yeah, I just want to say, yeah, thank you, Matthew, you know, for for uh, being able to um, fin- to finish the story to conclude, I guess, uh, creation myths uh, for the fans. Uh, I'm just I'm just ridiculously excited that I got to do it. And um, and, and how can people uh, find you um, if they want to get in contact with you, you know, whether it's like for um, your social medias or anything? Sure. Well, I'm on Twitter uh, at Matthew Dow Smith, all one word. Um, I, there's a Facebook fan page for Matthew Dow Smith, which boggles my mind that there's a fan page for me. <laughs> <laughs> I post on it. I I post on it regularly. Uh, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's a good it's a good outlet. Um, and yeah, and I'm on Facebook as as just Matthew Dow Smith. Uh, there's a website that's coming. Uh, soon called Skeleton Tree Media, which is my, um, which is sort of the the online home of some of the things that I have coming up next year. That's just SkeletonTreeMedia.com. Excellent, cool, and um, yeah, thank you so much for um, being on the show. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. You already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time, time to return to the castle. The Crystal Calls! To the Crystal Chamber! Well, that's all the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone. Special thanks to Matthew Dow-Smith and to Mal from Arcade Entertainment. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at trialbystonepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash trial by stone podcast or on Twitter at trial by stone pod. If you like the show and think that others would like it too, then please write a review on iTunes and help spread the word about the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next month for more trial by stone.